I'd like to speak to you for a little while this afternoon on an expression that's found in Matthew 16 where the Apostle Peter used it like this. He said, for some say. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, we have the reverse of that. There's the expression, say some. So let's talk about some say and say some for just a little while this afternoon. In Matthew 16, verse 13, it says that Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. When he came to this particular geographical location, he asked the question to his disciples. He did not ask this question to man, mankind in general. He asked this specifically to his disciples. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now Jesus here declares he is the Son of Man. He says, who do men in general say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, apparently the apostles mixed and mingled, went about their daily chores, their daily lives. Uh, the apostles themselves, in some consideration here, of course, had forsaken a great deal of all that to follow the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he went. But they would pick up this and pick up that. You know how people are. They like to say things over here and say things over there, and you pick this up and you pick that up and one thing and another. So he says, but whom do men in general say that I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, well, some say. Now, when you read the expression, some say, we're not told who the some say are, but we do know that the some say represents somebody. There is somebody that's going to say what the Apostle Peter here is going to reply with. For some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say that thou art Elias. And some say that you're Jeremiah's. Now, I can understand a little bit how they might say he was John the Baptist. John the Baptist and, and Christ were only six months apart in age, and John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He was a unique person, an unusual person. He was unique in the way he dressed and the way he ate, and his ministry was certainly out of the ordinary. I could, I could see how some might get, get that idea and maybe come forth with that answer. So some say... Thou art John the Baptist. And he says, and some say thou art Elias. Well, Elias here is Elijah. And Elijah had lived several hundred years prior to this, of course, had died. And Elijah actually got called up to heaven in a whirlwind, and God sent a chariot of horses and fire to get him. Uh, he did not die. He was just taken into heaven just like he was. But in the book of Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, the last Old Testament book, we read in Malachi 3.1 where he says, Behold, I will send my messenger before thee. And there's actually two messengers in that verse. The second messenger is the messenger of the covenant. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the first messenger is uh, John the Baptist. And then over in Malachi 4 and 5, he says, I will send Elijah the prophet before you, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, he lived 500 years before Malachi makes this statement. Now, if you didn't know all that, you might think, well, Malachi's telling us the Lord's going to send somebody by the name of Elijah. But you know Elijah's already lived. Elijah uh, lived 500 years before this. Elijah was called up to heaven, etc. But in some manner, in some way, Elijah was going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So if you come to Matthew chapter 11, 
you'll find Christ asking this question of John the Baptist. He says, what went you out to see? He said, a reed shaken in the wind? Is that what you went out to see? Somebody weak, unstable, whatever? He says, or did you go out to see somebody in soft raiment? He said, now those who wear soft raiment are in king's houses. You're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking for John the Baptist, he's not going to have on soft raiment like people in the king's palace wear. No, he had a leathern girdle, didn't he? And he had uh, uh, honey and, and locusts for his diet. So he was certainly out of the ordinary. He, he was kind of a rough-looking person in a sense, seemingly to me. But he said, a prophet? He said, yeah, and more than a prophet. He said, uh, there's not among men born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. But this is what uh, Malachi was talking about. If you will receive it, he came in the spirit and the power of Elias. John the Baptist is who Malachi had under consideration over here. So he comes in the spirit and power of Elias. And there are some similarities when you compare Elijah and referred to as Elias here and John the Baptist. So that answer was wrong. So far we've got two answers and they're both wrong. But some say that. Some say that uh, you're John the Baptist. Wrong. And some say that you're Elias, wrong. And some say that you're Jeremiah. Now that's the one that's most difficult for me to figure out why anybody would make that statement, that Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was one of the major prophets, but he'd been dead for hundreds of years as well. So the some say crowd have missed it three times. <laughs> they missed it with saying he was John the Baptist. They missed it when he said he was Elias the prophet. Uh, they missed it when he said it was Jeremiah's. Well, then the Lord said, but whom do ye say? Now we got the, not the some say crowd, but the ye say crowd, which is the disciples. But whom do ye say that I am? And the apostle Peter spoke up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father which art in heaven. Now that's a great doctrinal statement. Just as it took the, the Lord Jesus Christ, or God the Father, to reveal to Peter that Jesus was the Christ. That's the same way it is today with you and with me and anyone else. No one's going to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, unless they've been born of the Spirit and it's been revealed unto them by the Father himself. So here we're talking about the deity of Christ. We're talking about the sonship of Christ. Uh, Christ asks this question, in the last part of Matthew chapter 22, he says, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, the son of David. But as far as his lineage was concerned, he was the son of David. But the answer was certainly incomplete at best. He was far more than just the son of David. You see, sometimes when they give these answers about some say or say some or they say, these are real people who have said these things. They said them then, they say them now. Now, sometimes we're told exactly who says what. Uh, the Bible identifies a person with the language that they use. But here, that's not the case. And Peter says, we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, and I say. Now, I'll take I say over they say or some say any day, won't you? So Jesus said, and I say unto you, 
that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou bindest on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou bound in heaven shall be bound on this earth. Now you, use, you see Peter using these keys of the kingdom in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when God blessed him to preach beyond measure on that occasion, where 3,000 were added to the church. And I believe here Peter used a key to open up the door of gospel truth to the Jewish people. And then in Acts chapter 10, he speaks to and preaches to a man by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a centurion. And the Lord used Peter to use that key once again and to open up the door of gospel news and gospel deliverance and good news and glad tidings to the Gentiles, the first recorded gospel message to a Gentile in that way that we have on record. So Peter is using those keys that the Lord gave him for the kingdom here on this earth. So we have the, the some say crowd. But come over to 1 Corinthians 15, and I mentioned this this morning, where in verse 12, the apostle says, If Christ be preached among you, they be raised from the dead, how say some? Not the some say, but now we've got the say some crowd. And we're not told who the say some are, but we know they were real people. There were some that said among the church at Corinth, that there's not going to be a resurrection. Now, they were wrong too. Now, setting this up, we see where Paul opened this chapter saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, here it is in its strictest definition. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, wherein we have preached unto you, you have received, wherein you stand, where you have believed, Whereby you shall be saved if you keep in memory what I preach to you. Now here's a salvation that is based upon you retaining that which you have heard preached. If you're going to be delivered from error to truth, from ignorance to knowledge, then you have to keep in memory what was preached here. He says, if you keep, you shall be saved if you keep in memory what I preached to you. And then he says, for first of all, I preached unto you how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and how he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The scripture, the word according means in harmony with. He says his death was in harmony with the scriptures. His birth or his death, burial, and resurrection was in harmony with the scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures had spoke about it, had prophesied about it, had been written about it and now Christ has come and fulfilled it, you see. Then he says, how he was seen, first of all, of Cephas. Then he was seen among 500 brethren at one time, some of which have fallen asleep. He says, then he was seen of James. Then he was seen of all the apostles. And then he was seen, last of all, of me as an apostle born, or as one born out of due season. Now look at all these witnesses here. He was seen of Cephas, that's, that's Peter, he was seen among 500 brethren at one time. He was seen by James. He was seen by all the apostles. And then last of all, he's seen of Paul himself. And with all these witnesses and all this testimony, how in the world could there be a some say crowd? But there was. Some say or say some. 
if Christ be preached among you, that he's been risen from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? How could that possibly be? How could you have anybody make that kind of statement, say those kind of things after what he just written unto them and gave testimony about all these witnesses that would testify that they saw Jesus Christ, the Son of God, after he'd been risen from the dead. But, say some was there. They say some crowd was there. They'll always be there. You can just count on them. The some say and the say some crowd are always going to be there. Now, the first in Matthew 16 had to do with his deity, his divinity, him being the Son of God. But this has to do with what we spoke on this morning as Paul refuted the false doctrine of the Sadducees to declare and prove that God was the God of the living, not the God of the dead, that there is a resurrection, there will be a resurrection when the Lord comes back again the second time. Now, Paul says, if Christ be preached that he's risen not from the dead, he says, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is in vain. This is what you have to conclude if the say some or the some say crowd is right, here are some of the conclusions you'd have to reach. He says, if Christ be not risen from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. There's no need to preach. There's nothing to preach. There's no good news. There's no glad tidings. There's nothing to feed our soul. There's nothing to strengthen our hearts. There's nothing to lift us up. There's nothing to edify us. If there is not a resurrection, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. We're just going through a lot of exercise for no good. And your faith is in vain. The faith God gave you, the faith that's a free gift of God in your heart, it's in vain if Christ has not risen from the grave, if he has not risen from the dead. If Christ be not risen from the dead, then our preaching is vain, your faith is in vain. He says, and you're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. If you're still in your sins, there's no salvation. All this is based upon the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. He says, we've been found false witnesses. For we have testified that God raised up Christ from the dead. And if Christ is raised from the dead, then the dead shall rise. And if the dead, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then the dead rise not. They both depend upon the other. There's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead if Christ has not risen. If Christ has not risen, there is no resurrection of the dead. But if Christ has been risen, then the resurrection of the dead is a sure thing. He says we've been found false witnesses. And he says all those who have fallen asleep have perished. How many times have you gone to the cemetery in your lifetime? How many times have you gone to the cemetery? You've been to the graveyard and you've buried a loved one. You've placed somebody that you know in your heart loved the Lord and therefore the Lord loved them. And you place that body in a coffin. The coffin was down in the ground, six foot deep. But you went away from there believing that was not going to be the end. You went away there believing that there would come a day when the Lord would come with all his mighty angels with him and he would speak and the grave would open and the coffin would open. The body would arise out of that coffin, come out of that grave to be reunited with the soul and spirit. That's fundamental Christian doctrine, you see. But if Christ be not risen from the dead, everything I just said is in vain. Everything I just said is not going to come to pass. But I can assure you that it will. He said, if we had hope in this life only in Christ Jesus, notice this, we're among all men most miserable. 
There's some miserable folks out here in the world. <laughs> it really is. There's miserable people in the world, but if Christ be not risen, you're worse than they are. You're among, mo among all men most miserable. That's one of the conclusions you have to reach. If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus. You know, you can read it like this. If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus. But that's not the way it would read. See, there's no comma there. It's kind of like reading a sign like this. Slow men working. Does that mean slow men working? Does that mean slow men working? It might mean both. <laughs> If there's no punctuation, there's no comma, how, what do you know? How, you know, you got to study the context. If men are working, I think he's probably telling me to slow down. That's the way I'm going to take it, right? Now, it may be slow men working, all right. <laughs> it seems like if you see 10 men, you know, there's one working and nine uh, holding themselves up with a shovel. But anyway, slow men working or slow men working. Which way is it? So if we had hope in this life only... We're among all men most miserable. We're the worst of the whole lot, if that's not the case. He said, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. This will refute the some say, or the say some. It will, you know, it's the antidote, so to speak. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That means there's going to be more coming out of the graves. He's the first fruits, and Paul is reaching back to the Old Testament to teach the law of first fruits. When Israel sowed their crops, and God blessed it with good seasons, and they began to harvest their crop, they were under the obligation to bring forth the very first that they got out of the field. They were not to use that. They were to take that and offer it to God as a first fruit offering. And if God accepted it, they gave them the assurance that he was going to accept the entire crop. So when Christ rose from the dead, he's the first fruits of them that slept. And because he arose from the dead, that gives assurance to every little child of God, every heir of promise, that they likewise are going to rise from the dead someday at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of the some say crowd, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In spite of the say some crowd, Christ has risen from the dead. The some say and the say some crowd have not gone away. They're still around. They're still here. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 3, let God be true and every man a liar. They may, the Bible may not tell specifically who they are. Just like, you know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, in the last days scoffers shall come. Now we have a category of people. We still don't know specifically who they are. But it says the last day scoffers shall come and they shall ask the question, where is the promise of his coming? And then they followed up by saying, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the very beginning. And Peter says, for this they are willingly ignorant of. There's something called the flood. From the time of creation to knowing the flood, Something happened right there in Noah's life called a flood and things have not continued the same as they were from the very creation. And he says they are ignorant of this, but they are willingly ignorant of this and they're scoffers. Then Peter proceeds on to prove that the Lord's coming again. 
he proves that he shall come as a thief in the night and the element shall melt with fervent heat and the Lord comes and this world is going to be burned up and all the works therein the scoffers what they say is not true so we have to watch out for the some say crowd and also the say some crowd <laughs> that God's word be true and every man alive